Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled, The Origin of Reason. A question was asked of me the other day in a discussion regarding evolution. What is the closest thing on earth to being a man? And if you think about it, what the man was asking me to say was a monkey. That's what he was hoping I would say. But it's not a monkey. It's a woman. Okay. Okay. He nodded his head. Okay. Well, what's the closest thing on earth to being a woman? Well, he thought he had me there. I was going to have to say it was a monkey. But no, the closest thing to being a woman is a man. There's no ability within me that would allow me to provide a proper description of just how different men are from women. That's true. Men and women are poles apart, and the French love to say, Vive la différence. At the same time, there's nothing more similar to a man and a woman in all of creation. Eve had to be a beautiful woman and perfect in her beauty. Adam, as we mentioned earlier, was also perfect in every way. So here you have two people who were perfect intellectually, physically, and spiritually. Adam was more cunning than any of the animals. He had more endurance and a far greater intellectual ability than any of the animals God had made. And Eve was his perfect match. Now, if this was Adam, what can we imagine about Eve? She was a helper suitable for Adam. She was sinlessly perfect, meaning her intellect, her emotion, and her spiritual side were unblemished. So there was a perfect harmony between the two. She was no dummy. The blonde jokes find no application with her. She is possessed of a pristine glory, unique to her, and made particularly with Adam in mind. God made a help meet suitable for Adam. And that's special. Now that has a critical note to it that we need to understand. Eve was made particularly for Adam. Now, this is truly something that would irritate Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem. It would irritate them to no end to think that a woman was made for a man. Radical feminism and even biblical feminism fall flat in face of what biblical truth lays out before us. I've heard some ardent feminists rail against such an idea. Back in 1962 and 1963, tremendous things happened within the courts of the United States. In 62 and 63, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that we could no longer pray in school, nor could we read the Bible in school in any kind of government-sanctioned event. So, that was a very, very strong ruling. But also, it was the year that Betty Friedan published her book, The Feminine Mystique. Most of the people my age would probably remember that book. The younger generations might not be aware of it, however, they are greatly affected by the effects of that book. The impact that book had on the national attitude was tremendous. It was Betty Friedan who founded the National Organization of Women. They call it NOW. The Statement of Purpose, which was written by Betty Friedan and Pauli Murray in 1966, state the reason for it now is to take action to bring women into full participation in the mainstream of American society now. Exercising all privileges and responsibilities thereof in truly equal partnership with men. The six core issues that now addresses are abortion and reproductive health services access, violence against women, constitutional equality, promoting diversity and ending racism, lesbian rights, and economic justice. With these issues having various sub-issues, the organization goes about creating these changes through laborious lobbying, rallies, marches, and conferences. Now focuses on a variety of issues, deploying multiple strategies, causing it to be an organization in which a comprehensive goal is envisaged and performed. It was Betty Friedan's writing in The Feminine Mystique that helped destroy marriages, or she iterated the fact that women needed their independence, that they were being repressed by the misogynist male attitude. 
It was many freedmen that wanted liberty for the woman and freedom of mind and freedom of expression. And the confines of marriage, as once understood, were very restrictive and somewhat draconian, in her opinion. She believed a woman needed to find her independence and fulfillment outside of the traditional roles that had been established. So she began to push for women's rights. She felt as if a woman who was actually feminine should not have wanted to work, get an education, or have any political opinions. She felt like the idea of femininity that was being expressed during those days was extremely repressive. So she pushed for the independence of the woman. She wanted the woman to find a new role, and that's where the problems began. It was a problem of identity. Her feeling was that women were surrendering their identity in order to carry out a supposed idea of femininity. She felt like they were giving up a tremendous amount in order to be a woman who was going to be taking care of her husband, raising kids, and keeping the house. That this was dehumanizing. She wanted to bring them back from that dehumanization into humanity. That's what she felt as if she was doing. She argued that a woman had to fulfill herself and become what she could be to transcend the present and act in light of the possible. This was her words. She had to be self-actualized. Frieden argued that routineness and dailiness of being a housewife, living through husbands and children, and only wanting to be loved and secure and accepted by others was a roadblock to a woman becoming all that she could be. This was wrong, she felt. Scripture also says, God felt, this is wrong. You begin to break the mold that God has established, and that's where the problems begin. The divorce rate, after her book took effect, began to climb. It didn't skyrocket, but it did begin to climb up to the point that today we have an average of 50 to 51% divorce rate that says that Half or more of marriages in the United States of America are ending up in court. And 70% of those that get remarried end up in court. Now, I know that's, that's very encouraging, isn't it? But with Betty Friedman and Gloria Steinem, when you start to speak of biblical truth, they begin to rail against these ideas, and they cry out literally saying that this idea pushes a woman back into the Stone Age. But actually, it puts a woman into a biblical position and makes a woman subject to tremendous blessings from God. Men may not like it, but God puts his blessing upon it. This does not reek of prejudice, as Betty Friedan would like to tell you. To speak of these first principles that are revealed so clearly in Genesis is not an obnoxious thing at all. Though in our day it's a difficult subject to discuss, it raises a lot of ire. There is a great deal of resistance and a lot of pushback. To speak of a woman being made for a man and to get more specific, to mention her need to be obedient and submissive to the man within the confines of a marriage is almost like throwing a rock through a plate glass window. You better be able to run. In an age where equality and political correctness is the main concern, to speak of submission of one person to another, male or female, is anathema. We push independence. We support that in our educational systems from preschool all the way through college. Doubly so when you hint that a woman is to submit to a man, and not just any man, but her husband. It's as if the woman has to enter into bondage in order to be a married woman. If anything, a woman today is taught that she must strive to become more autonomous and freer in her expression. Today, it's all about equality, particularly within the marriage. The man has his life, and the woman has her life. The man has his bank account, and the woman has her bank account. And then the divorce rates soar. 
Personally, I do not support the idea that a husband and children can sustain an individual as far as their identity is concerned. Nor can work outside the house, college degrees, big positions, and lots of money. The relationship that we're given to establish is our relationship with God. It's in Him that we find our identity, and it's He that guides us into the proper role that we're to take in life. I do not believe that a woman is relegated to simply staying at home. She's to go where the Lord leads her to go. However, once a marriage takes place, everything changes. The unfortunate thing is that a lot of people did buy into freedom solution, and they shift from being mother and housewife to another identity that was not found in Christ. Inevitably, it puts us in the courtroom where we find a lawyer on each side and a divorce being verified and the verdict being given. So, the issue is to come to reason to understand that God has established us to be who we are supposed to be in Him. Here's the key. You go back to the beginnings. You go back, you go back to the first principles. And there you find reason. Ladies, I would tell you honestly, men are not the answer. I do not believe that a man is the answer to all your needs. That's not true. But I would say this, that Christ is the answer. And willingness to follow what he says, there is where we find our completion. That's what keeps us finding fullness because we find out who we are in Christ. We find out what he meant for our lives. The real problem is we abandon the role that he has established for us. And Eve was given a particular role. And we're going to look at that. The issue in scripture is truly black and white. What equality do you find between red and white? They're both colors, but outside of that, there's no real similarities. Are women equal to men? In some ways, yes. In others, no. They're both created in the image of God. This makes a woman's fit companion for a man. They can have communion. They can have fellowship. They can talk. They can be friends. They're both under the law of God and thus responsible to God. They both have and had moral responsibility. But when sin entered, they were both found guilty. They both disobeyed. They fell hard and they fell completely. Both did. Both are subject to God's amazing grace as well. In Christ, there's neither bond nor free, male nor female, neither Jew nor free. Both man and woman have opinions and intellects. Neither are ignorant, neither were ignorant, and these things are easily agreed upon by all. However, beyond these things, equality ceases. And this may be where many women depart from the biblical position altogether, because Paul says that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. He addresses this once again in another letter he wrote to the Ephesians. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Imagine how that would set with Miss Frieden, or Gloria Steinem, or the radical feminist, or anybody in our society today. There is no room in Scripture allowed for what is termed biblical feminism. I have heard various women, leaders within the church, Christian women, I heard them rail against the idea of submission as it's put forth by a lot of the pastors. Some even have had a call for submission saying that it's the result of the curse that came with Adam. It came as a result of the fall. A wife submitting to her husband is the result of sin. I've heard that said. This need for submission has been removed when Christ came and died for us. 
Now, I'm from the state of Mississippi. I lived there for a number of years. My parents were born and raised there, and I work there. Presently, I live in the state of Kentucky, and here we have some pretty good seminaries. And I would say that this qualifies as a certain brand of theology that is learned pretty much as you get out into the congregation and you begin to fellowship with the people. This particular brand of theology is called hogwash theology. It finds no grounding in Scripture at all. I did not learn this kind of theology or this Bible teaching in any school I've ever gone to. I've never preached it from the pulpit, and I've never read it in any extra books that I've got, though I have heard it said many times. Generally, the people that hold to this have a disdain for the Apostle Paul. They feel that he is a misogynistic individual, and they don't necessarily like his writing. And consequently, they have a particular animus for the way you would look at the Word of God if you're conservative in your views. The submission that God calls us to is a blessed thing, and it's contrasted to the submission within the church. Also, the submission can't be the result of the fall because it was put in place prior to sin. God did not say, oh, well, you know, Eve, now that you've messed up, you, you're going to have to submit to your husband. That's going to be your punishment from here on out. The woman's going to have to submit to the husband. Well, no, that's not the way it works. There's nothing and nobody that is saying females are subservient or less than a male. It's speaking of the marriage relationship and a voluntary submission in an efficient operation of the marriage institution. It's not talking about the worth of the individual at all. No woman is seen as being obligated to accept any man's proposal of marriage. However, both need to understand their position and role within the confines of the Christian marriage. The wife is to submit, as Scripture tells us, and the man is to love his wife. Both have equally difficult tasks. If the latter fulfills his responsibility, the first will find joy in fulfilling her position. I agree. However, if the man does not fulfill his obligation, does that mean the woman's not obligated to fill her part? A man does not need to concern himself with the wife's responsibility, nor does the wife need to concern herself with the man's responsibility. And I know this is a very heated subject and one that has been studied for a long, long time. But each person is obligated to concentrate on fulfilling their own personal obligations to God and leave the other individual to fulfill their personal position before God. Husbands, this means you concentrate on loving your wife. That's your job. Wife, it means that you are to concentrate on loving your husband. There is an order established within the marriage. If the woman, any woman, thinks that she cannot be a helper suitable for the man. She doesn't want to play this role at all within any relationship. I would recommend, in all seriousness, do not marry a man. Man, if you don't feel like you can love the woman that God has brought before you, do not marry that woman. The two should stay apart. When two armies meet in close quarters, there's always going to be a fight. And that's something that we'll learn, and we'll see more and more as we study the origin of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something to benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason. Thank you.